Hey everyone, Julie and Matt here from the Village Church. Did you know that we have a podcast just for kids? It's called God's Big Story. On each episode, we teach the Bible, sing the Bible, and talk about what it means with a friend or two. You can follow God's Big Story wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to audio from the Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Hey, hey, good morning. Happy Father's Day. I think my dad's in here somewhere. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Oh, there he is. (laughs) Um, If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Charlie Schaefer. Um, uh, I have the great joy of serving in the worship ministry here. And on any given weekend like this one, I had to run around the stage. Uh, You can find me in that glass bubble making a joyful noise. Emphasis on the noise. Um, I also get to... Uh, join in on writing music and producing music for this church, which is awesome. So it's a great joy. Um, today's reading is going to be in Acts 17, 24 to 28. You can follow on the screen if you like. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. As though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath, and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, that he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. If you want to open up to that passage, we will look at it here in just a few moments. But I want to uh, join in uh, the chorus of thanking our fathers. And so let me, let me just say it this way, that's um, for, for all that you do and carry, seen and unseen, the Lord sees you. Uh, there are significant and serious weights uh, that, that we endure as husbands and fathers. Uh, and that can feel lonely and isolating. And, and I, I just want you to hear me say, the Lord sees you. And, and really on top of that, I would say, and on behalf of human flourishing, thank you for carrying what you carry. Uh, there is no human flourishing without you stepping into that post. Uh, everything falls apart without you as imperfectly as you see yourself. I want to tell you today, the Lord sees you. And for all the lies that the enemy wants to convince you about you, uh, I want to tell you, you have an identity that's greater than that uh, and a purpose that's more profound than that. Um, And if you feel like nobody sees you today, I'm not letting you leave here without me saying, the Lord sees you and I'm going to be his mouthpiece today and, and say, I see you. Well done, brothers. In your imperfection, in your striving, well done. Okay. Um, last week, I, we got to celebrate together as a family, as I wanted to highlight uh, Jim and Jane Beckett, uh, both 97. They had just celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary. Like, who gets that? Uh, no, nobody gets that. Like, I've been in the game a lot. Nobody gets 75 years of marriage. Like, that, that's, 
five years longer than my father-in-law's been alive. Uh, that is a long run. And so we celebrated that last week, and, and we were right to celebrate that. And then earlier this week, um, Jim went on home to the Lord uh, and so got to spend Friday, uh, this past Friday with Jane, and we're, we're getting ready to celebrate his life this week. Uh, but it, it wasn't lost on me that on a weekend where I want to talk about purpose, like, like I want to lay in front of you that you have a God-given destiny. I want to hand to you by the, the grace of God that in the continual surrender of formation that you will step into something that God has created for just you. It's not lost on me that, that on this weekend, while I'm writing this sermon, that Jim, who embodied this in ways, like one of the best men I know, embodied this in a kind of way, that it just kind of broke, I mean, just breathed life uh, into my preparation because I just kept finding my mind and my heart go like this man, like this man did, like this man did, like this man did, like this man did. Uh, and even in my own heart, I'm like, yeah, I, I want to be, I, I want this story. Um, and we've got time because it's the 11. Um, Jane, 97, goes to bed around 4.30 in the afternoon. And some of us are like, yes, please. Um, and, and then she sleeps. She sleeps all the way through the night uh, until the next morning. Well, uh, Jim died at around, I think around midnight one, and like a movie, at 11 o'clock, she stirred and, and walked in and woke up the caregiver and just said, I, I want to kiss Jim and say goodbye. And, and walked in, kissed, <laughs> kissed Jim's face, and then went to get back in bed. And the, the nurse was like, well, if, if, he, if he starts to fade, do you want us to wake you up? And she said, no, 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 I'm, I'm saying goodbye. And, and she got back in bed and then just... A couple of hours later, Jim headed to the Lord. Uh, and I'm just like, yeah, like that, Lord. Just I, let me go like that. Yes, like that. A life well lived, a life surrendered to Jesus, a life profoundly in love with his wife, who he saw as a partner in ministry and a partner in life. Uh, and I, I've just been so encouraged by the testimony of that man and wanted to encourage you with the testimony of that man. Because it's a rare thing to get 75 years of life, much less 75 years of marriage. Uh, so one of the keys is to play competitive tennis into your 80s. That's one of the things I learned. So now, if you're, if you're here, and, and I don't, listen, I, we're in week three of a four-week series. And so if you're, if you're like a once-a-monther or a once-a-quarterer or a couple times a year, you're, you're actually stumbling on into a conversation we've been having the last couple of weeks. And the conversation is really about how we are formed as human beings. Like, like how are we shaped and molded into the people that we are or the people that we will become uh, and so we've been arguing for the last three weeks. Actually, the, the Bible's been bearing its weight on us the last couple of weeks that you are either, um, you're either being conformed into the image of Jesus or, or you are being conformed into your idols. And we've used different language around that because the Bible uses different language around that. Uh, you are either becoming more human or you are becoming less human. Uh, you are um, either progressively being dehumanized or you are progressively being rehumanized. And, and we started uh, talking about really the fact that God is our creator. And when he created us, he created us good. Like he looked, he actually used very good as the descriptor. So there's like a, a divine in us, something beautiful about us that when God has created us, he looks and he's like, I nailed that. And then sin enters the cosmos and fractures that beauty, 
And if you wanna, you wanna see what I'm talking about, just go read Genesis. Just start and read how beautiful and good it is and how quickly it devolves into chaos, madness, death, shame, suffering, murder, wildness. We're created as human, beautiful, good, flourishing, right relationship with God, right relationship with each other. Sin enters the cosmos, fractures it, broken relationship with God, broken relationship with others, and we begin to devolve. We begin to act more and more unhuman. God sends the law to constrain man's wildness, and then he sends his son to overcome it once and for all. Jesus comes, the perfect man, the spirit-filled man. He dies on the cross, absorbing God's wrath towards all who would believe in his name, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father so that by faith, those who believe in Jesus Christ or progressively over a period of time made more and more and more human, not less and less human. That's what happens if you, if you gaze upon and you chase after your idol. So it's either Jesus is forming us into what it actually looks like to be fully human or our idols are dehumanizing us and sowing seeds of chaos, violence, and brokenness into our world. So you could face Jesus, behold his beauty, and be shaped and formed by him, or you can shape your idols, namely the idol of approval, the idol of control, the idol of comfort, and the idol of power. That's what's underneath whatever else you're chasing. You can face that. You will be enslaved by it and ultimately destroyed by it. That's a, you can just look across human history now. What happens to people whose God is their comfort? Well, if you've seen Wally, you know how that ends. Like what, what happens if power is your God? What, what happens if approval is your God? I mean, so many of us in this room are so enslaved by approval the people we don't even know or even like. But we need to drive the right car. We need to live in the right neighborhood. We need to have the right clothes. We need to, why? You don't even know those folk. Like, you don't even, like you're trying to impress people you don't even know. Or maybe trying to impress yourself. So you can face this way and it's dehumanization, it's dissolving, and it's enslaving yourself. Or you can face this way, life, peace, increasing in our humanity. And so that's what we've been talking about. And so uh, he, what we're, all this is, it's just discipleship. It's like, how are you being discipled? Or rather, what is discipling you? Because you don't have a choice whether or not you're being discipled. You are being discipled by something. We were created to be formed and shaped. And, and so when we say discipleship, what we're talking about is not just do you believe in Jesus, but do you follow him? I want to keep saying this, even though I know it bothers some of you. And sometimes when, when you get me in a corner somewhere, you, you'll tell me that it bothers you. But I, I'm too afraid of the Lord and love you too much to stop. So here it is. The Bible knows nothing of you believing in Jesus and having no intention of ever following or submitting to him. That there is no category biblically for that being called Christianity. There's no history, no, no Bible verse that says, just believe and do what you want. No, you're actually saved from doing what you want because doing what you want turns you this way and devolves you. So Jesus says, believe in me and turn this way. In repentance, turn this way. Uh, and so when we're talking about formation and we're talking about discipleship, what we're actually saying is that as best I can with where I am, I'm following after Jesus. And here's how we define discipleship here. Discipleship to Jesus is the continual surrender 
of all of life to God's good design for identity, purpose, and belonging. So we think that's a holistic definition of disciples. The thing I want to keep highlighting is that all of life for all of life is what discipleship is. And it's a continual surrender to the belief that what God says and what God wants is better than what I say or you say and what I want. That's the continual process of surrender, which is why I think evangelicalism, particularly in the South, is made up of so many people who call themselves Christian but have no relationship with Christ and no desire to actually follow him. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. I just think I'm smarter than he is and I want to do my life like I want to do my life. Well, that's not Christianity. That's you exalted as the God of your life. But to be formed is to say, my way is not best. What I think doesn't matter as much as what he thinks and what he has said. And then it's a submission to that that over a period of time forms me into the best possible version of myself that I'll ever be. And so we said last week in identity that one of the places we'll have to continually surrender to God's good design is in regards to our identity. And and we said last week, we saw in the passage last week that identity is not something that we self-discover, but it's actually something that's given to us. So that the creator God of the universe, and I'll remind you, he, he speaks and the universe comes into being. So one of the passages we read last week is he just said, let there be livestock. And you know what happened? Livestock came about. You know where it came from? Nowhere. Just his spoken power. His word is so powerful in the speaking that he said, let there be livestock. And bam, there it was. It wasn't like there were some ribeyes over here and, and a, you know, a brisket. He's like, put that together. No, it was just none of it existed. He's like, let there be. And there was. This spoken word of God is so profoundly powerful that everything that exists, as far as the universe exists, is there because he told it to be. And he told it to be out of nothing, ex nihilo. Wasn't like heaven was full, so he's like, we gotta mix, we gotta clean this thing out. It was no, spoken into being and there it was. And this God gives you, Christian, your fundamental and primary identity. He says, You're redeemed. And we said last week, that means nothing is wasted in your life. No failure, no shortcoming, no addiction, no took an atomic bomb to your life and your family's life. Not wasted at all. That's been redeemed. That doesn't disqualify you. He's pulling you in by his grace. He he says that you are forgiven. He he says that you are a son or a daughter. He says that you're a new creation, that the old has passed away and the new has come. He says that you're victorious. He's like, this is crazy. Like us. He says this about us, and this becomes our primary identity. I didn't go discover it. Somebody told me, and it was the one that said, let there be livestock, and all of a sudden there was. And and he's committed to that and can hold that together. In fact, there wasn't anything in the universe strong enough to hold that promise, so he swore by himself. That's what the book of Hebrews said. I always chuckle at that. God was like, I swear to me, I swear by me that I got you and I'm going to carry you home and I'm committed to you and and I'm going to form you and I'm never going to let you go. Well, what about when I, yeah, I knew I saw it before you did it. I'm here for it. Like this is what we talked about. Our identity was received by God. And so here's what I want to do today. And it, it honestly, it's the angst of my life, dadgummit. I want to lay before you your purpose and destiny in Christ. Like, like I want to lay before you 
that the Christian faith hasn't been given to blue check charismatic personality types. But the faithfulness of ordinary saints in neighborhoods, households, workplaces, and to the ends of the earth. The the gospel of Jesus Christ spread across the globe, not just with dynamic preaching, but actually faithful saints, look at me, on Tuesday. You know what I mean by Tuesday? Like Tuesday's not Monday. Monday's tough. Monday hurts, Monday's, uh, Wednesday, Wednesday's hump day, almost there. Friday's like we made it. What's Tuesday? It's Tuesday. It's just like, it's just a, it's just there. It's not high, it's not low, it's just Tuesday. Yeah, that's the magic. The ordinary, mundane faithfulness on Tuesday has changed the world with the gospel. Ordinary saints in ordinary places living out ordinary lives has pushed back darkness and established light all over the world with the light of the gospel. And and I'm pressing, thank you, I'm pressing because I still believe that regardless of all the shouting for 20 years, that there's a giant group of you that still thinks this calling belongs to other people and not you. It's like we got sidelines that are packed and a field that's thin. It's like you just can't get that your primary identity is son, child, daughter, priest. It's hard for us to get that you have a unique calling and purpose that's been given to you that I can't fulfill for you. And and that that Grant can't fulfill for you. And that Michael can't fulfill. And Jason Swords, we can't fulfill. You've got to step into it. It wasn't given to us. It was given to you. And so I want to invite you out of the boredom of Sunday attendance. I, listen, I'm going to not devalue what I do, but I want to speak truth to it. This will not be enough. I'm here to encourage you into the hard work, not to be the hard work. I can motivate you for a second, but some of you are going to flip somebody off before you get out of the parking lot. It is not a sustaining power what I'm doing here. I am here to encourage you, to speak life into you, to remind you of the gospel and tell you that Christ hasn't abandoned you. But if this is where all your chips are, I'm a Christian because I go to church and I listen to this guy yell at me. It's kind of penance. And then I'm trying to be a good guy by not doing it. That is not how formation works. It's never going to happen for you. And I so want you to walk in the life of the gospel. And I'm I'm totally inadequate to get you there. You're going to have to lean into other things than just me preaching. Now, I can encourage you. This, I'm, I'm an edifier. I'm not even a teacher. I mean, I intentionally try to make this hard to take notes off of because I ain't trying to do didactic teaching with you. Didactic teaching doesn't transform anybody. Good Lord, how many notes you have that you never applied at all? How much do you know that you have no idea how to practice? I ain't trying to give you more stuff for your journal that you'll lose and get another half-filled journal to add with all your billions of other half-filled journals. I ain't playing that game. I'm here to encounter the living God. That's how I pray. That's how I prepare. That's, I want us, okay, the Spirit's here. He's doing something. And so here's how I want to do it. I've got three points. The first two I've made 60 million times over the last 20 years. So we're going to fly through it. And then I want to spend some time on the last piece simply because Next week's sermon space isn't long enough, so I'm going to ooch back and do a preview of what's to come, okay? That's what we're going to do. So two points. How is it that, that we find our purpose? Well, we, we, have, we, we have this foundational identity that's given to us by God. Son, daughter, redeemed, made new, 
delightful, beloved, given to us. I didn't earn that. I didn't discover that. I didn't go on a journey inward to find that. It was declared over me, declared over you by the creator of the universe. But, here, look at me. Don't lose me. You also, you also have a unique identity. So there's this foundational identity that's given to you by God. And then there's this unique identity that's yours and yours alone. Like, listen to this. Here, just, let's make some eye contact. It's Father's Day. There has never been anyone like you before now, and there will never be anyone like you again. Look, you are, are you serious? You are incredible. Never in the history of the world has there been something exactly like you. Never again will there be. You are in your unique identity. You got to this place. In Psalm 139 would say that God in your mother's womb knit you together according to the days that he had for you. If you were here when we did unearth, you heard me say you were made for the day and the day was made for you. That Psalm 139 unpacks this, that your physical form and your inward makeup were actually woven together in the womb because of the days God had for you to push back darkness and establish light. Right? And so like this is, like, this is how we kind of make sense. Like we know biologically how to make sense of why you might be 5'9 and your wife might be 5'7 and you have a 6'3 son. How does that happen? Well, there's some sort of genetic game happening. There's some recessive gene But what Christians understand as going on underneath the biology is God's up to something. God's building something. He's got some days for this tall brother. This brother was going to need some 6'3 to get through the days that the Lord had for him. Right? You you all right with 5'8? I'm going to teach you some other things. But you over here, I'm going to teach you some things. And he's weaving together in our mother's rooms according to the days that he has for And then our passage for today, Acts 17, is one of my favorites ever. It just says that God, knowing the times in which you lived and the boundaries of your habitation, uniquely wired is what Psalm 139 says. Acts 17 says uniquely placed. That that he set you where he set you. Why? Well, he, he said it in the passage. So that men might seek him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Why isn't he far from any of us? Well, because we're there. Do, do you know why you live in the neighborhood? You Listen, I, 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 I'm going to just do it. You... You have an aptitude you were born with. That has led you your whole life. God's been involved in that aptitude. Like, you know who doesn't become an engineer? Poets. You ever met an engineer that loves poetry? You have not. They don't paint or they they don't. They're precise, right? Right? And, and so you were led by that aptitude into a domain of society which puts you in a tax bracket, that puts you in a certain neighborhood. The Bible says God's up to something in that. What's he up to? That men might seek him and know him, though he's not far from us. Why isn't he far from us? Because your engineer tail's there. Your poetry's making sense. You're there. You're in that space with what? The good news of the gospel. In him we live and move and have our being. That's Acts 17. So discovering this unique identity that's made up of family of origin, Turning points, highs and lows, epic failures, significant wins, wounds, all all sorts of things go into this. And and that kind of forms our unique identity. Like I I have a unique identity and it is both gold and shadow. It is both gold and shadow. Some of my best strengths are, they can really be harmful to me and others. So I need to be mindful. I need, why am I this way? Well, man, I've got this long backstory. You know, I mean, you know backstory. If you watch any shows now, you're like, well, I don't understand this guy. And then there's like a flashback. 
he was 13, he got attacked by a lizard or something, and now he's, you know, now he's a superhero, right? It's a backstory, and um, I've got one, and you've got one, and it's what, look at me. It's seriously, what brought you to this moment? Why some of your bents are, what, what, why certain things frustrate you and certain things don't. Why you get super excited about some things and you don't get excited about others. It, it's, our stories matter. We, we have this unique thing that only we bring to the table. And, and this isn't a derogatory uh, term, but you, you actually are kind of like a snowflake. There's just one of you. And I don't mean that like my dad would say, a bunch of snowflakes as he laments the next generation because the boomers nailed it. Uh, it you know, it, it, here's this. It's just like, yeah, you're, you're just you. And, and God's like pumped about that. You have this unique identity and it's not like, oh, I hate this aspect of you. No, no, no. God's redeemed every hurt, every loss, every wound, every nonsense spoken over you. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to I'm going to shape. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. You are redeemed. Don't forget. Now, do you see why the continual surrender is necessary? There were some voices whispered into my life that aren't true about me. And then there are some things whispered over my life from the creator that are true. And it requires continual surrender to say, that there doesn't define me like that there. And this is that hard work of unique identity. It's the hard work of turning back and looking at the hurt and looking at the disappointment and looking at the wins and understanding why you are who you are. I'm not talking about self-esteem. There's no self-esteem that way. I've gone down that road easily, some of the more painful work that, that you have to do if we're talking about deep work over time in community as formation, right? So you have a unique identity. And then on top of this unique identity, so you have your foundational, this is what God says I am. You have your unique identity. This is how my life has shaped and formed what you see in front of you. And then on top of that, each and every one of us have been given a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying, and it's not a spiritual gift, like your aptitudes, and now you became a Christian, and now that you're a Christian, your aptitudes are armed by the Spirit to make war against the enemy. That's true, but spiritual gifts aren't natural gifts that we were born with. They were things given to us by the Holy Spirit at salvation. Let's look at this together. This is 1 Corinthians 12, four through seven. Now, there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Listen, to each, and in the Greek, that's written in Texan, to all y'all <laughs> is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Did you hear that? So to each of us at salvation, we are given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. And as he comes, he brings gifts. He doesn't come empty-handed, right? He, he doesn't show up to dinner without that bottle of something-something, right? He, he shows up with a gift, and that, that, gift, gift, that gift is unique to you and for you. For what purpose? For the building up of the body, for the common good. So, so here's why I get so provoked that, that our, you know, our sidelines are so full and our playing field so thin. If this is true, brother, sister, and you're sitting there with a gift from the Holy Spirit bestowed upon you for your joy, gratitude, and purpose, and, and you've said, no, thank you, I'd rather just watch them play, you're robbing not just yourself, you're robbing us. How can we 
possibly be us if you won't step in. One of the things I've had to learn uh, as a pastor is to just keep your hand open for the comings and goings of people. You just got to do it. You kill yourself if you like. Every time somebody leaves, that's personal or that's some sort of indictment on me or it may very well be, but I'm not, I'm going to hold my hand open. And here's why. And it ain't my cake to bake. I don't know. I don't know how many eggs to put in this thing. I know. And, and if this brother is frustrated because I emphasize this too much or not this, and so he's out of here, the last thing I want to do is like shift my emphasis to try to keep you. I'm just like, praise God, man. There's a great church. Around. Go find one. Go land in a place that emphasizes that more than that. So I'm not trying. I don't, I don't know what goes in the batter. The, the Lord brings what we need for the batter. He knows where he's taking us. My, my role with the elders is just to seek his face, to fast and pray and ask him to show us. And then with great courage, lead, even if I know 200 of you will peel out because we head that way. So I'm, I'm trying to keep an open hand here because the gift mix that we need to go where he's taking us, he knows and I don't. And so we have our given identity, son, redeemed, forgiven, new creation. We have this unique identity made up of, hey man, I grew up this way. These things happened to me. These are turning points in my life. They shaped me like this. This is why I move towards this. This is why I shrink back from this. This is why this will provoke me in a bad way. This will provoke me in a good way. Like all, I got, it's good for me to know all of that. And then I know I've been gifted by the Holy Spirit and a gift's been given to me for your good and my good. And a gift's been given to you, dead gummin, for my good. For our good, how can we ever be what God wants to do here? If you continue to go, ah, yeah, but you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm just good. I, like, we can't get there. We, you've got to, you, you got to go on the journey of continual surrender to discover both a unique identity and spiritual gifts. Now, here's my, here's my pitch to next weekend. This is what we're talking about next weekend. All of this, let's make some eye contact. All of this can only happen in a specific container. That container is deep belonging and community. Um, I'd like to, like to just talk with men. Not necessarily fathers, just men. I had a friend of mine years ago that said, every man needs a king's table. And he was referencing King David. And so he said, every man needs a Joab. Joab was David's general. If there was ever a battle to be fought, Joab was like, point me in the direction, I'm your sword. Every man needs a Joab. He said, every man needs a Jonathan. Jonathan was the lover of David's soul. Just loved David's soul. Wasn't what he did or didn't do. He just, David was his guy. And then they needed Nathan. And Nathan was the one that could show up and go, David, you're being an idiot. And my friend said, you gotta have those three men or you'll never be fully what God wants. And I... I am so heartbroken at the experience of most men and the decisions some of you have made to live life without that table. Like one of the, one of the, I can't use it, the madness that you and I have been asked to drink since we were little boys is to suck it up and get it done. Suck it can't be weak, get it done. And so what happens is our formation can't really take place because we won't surrender and be vulnerable with other men because men value strength, not weakness. And yet it's by weakness that we actually fold completely into our masculinity. So it takes men taking the chance of letting other men 
I love my wife. She cannot do this for me. She is my biggest fan and biggest cheerleader, and she has pulled me into the best version of myself, and she is wholly inadequate to be shield to shield with me in my calling as a man. I need other brothers. You need other brothers. And as long as the best we can do is surface-level nonsense around sports and 401Ks and whatever else, hunting, we're killing ourselves. Brothers, there's life and depth and meaning for you in ways you can't fathom, but you're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to choose to be vulnerable. And I know there's nothing more terrifying than that. Why? Because nobody wants to start it. I mean, the number of times, I don't even care, the number of times I've seen a 60-year-old man break and confess for the first time in his life some nonsense he's been carrying since he was 20, like, oh my God, what could have been? Like, what could have been for this brother who feels crushed in spirit trying to carry up underneath everything rather than letting some boys fight with him? Like, I've got, a, I've got my group of guys. We, this is, you're going to hear our elders talk like this. We, our little phrase is, it, it's from a book called Gates of Fire. Uh, read it if you want. Don't leave it laying around the house. It's Spartan warfare. It is this idea of how they fought in a phalanx. And, and it was called Shield to Shield. And in a phalanx, my shield doesn't protect me. It protects him. And his shield protects me. And shield to shield is this idea that, hey, come what may, we're in this line together. And if one of us dies, we all die, but we're in this together. And that kind of brotherhood forms men into what God has for us as vulnerable, meek. Meek is like a sheathed sword. It's not soft. It takes far more courage and bravado to be vulnerable, to be straight about what you're struggling with, about what your fears are, about inviting other men into the broken bits of you, rather than puffing up your chest and acting like you're all hard while your soul shrivels on the vine. Now, it, women can go through this too. I'm just saying little boys get it early and it just becomes standard operating procedure. And I'm trying to jostle you out of that nonsense because God has another level of masculine leadership available to you. But you got to step in, man. And, and I'll say this. I gotta, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Brothers, to be 99% known is to be completely unknown. You play that game or you get with other brothers and you like a, just half confess, half loop in. You'll, you'll get like a little, ah, oh man, that felt good. But the soul will still be shriveled. Freedom's found in the, this is all of it, it's gross. And then watch a man go, holy cow, me too. What do you say we make war against this? But you can't ever get to the me too. Not if your chest is out. How are you doing fine? Doing good. Probably studied the Bible a little bit too much this week, but figured it out. <laughs> Like, look, I, I just love you. The least biblically masculine thing you can do is feel like you gotta carry all this without letting anybody in. The strongest men I know have brothers they, they call quick. And it's like even light stuff. It's like before the, before the temptation's even there. Like, this is food. like, I've had some thoughts. Or gosh, I get calls sometimes and I make calls sometimes. Lauren's out of town this weekend. Pray for me. Pray for your boy. Here's my compulsions. Here's where I'm bent. Just need you to pray. Maybe even give me a call randomly. Maybe just show up at the house. But I'm, I'm, shield to shield, let's do it. Amen. Brothers, what would that be like? Gosh, no, 
No secrets, a group of guys that see you in all the areas of weakness and still go, gosh, that's my dude. My dude right there. Whatever's coming for you is gonna come through me. Whatever's coming for you has gotta come through me. Like that, brother, it's just, it's just right there for you. It's just right there for you. It's just right there. It's just, it's just right there. Ah, but gosh, some of us, man, that, that little boy in us, and just something happened, man. Something was said, something happened. And we, we just made a vow that never again. And that vow has turned off the fuel of deep love and gratitude in our hearts in a way that's stifling. And I just want to make an appeal to you, not because it's Father's Day, but because I think men struggle with this most. It's not that women don't have a version of this. It's just I know this version because I am one of these. There is meaning, gratitude, and life to be found in vulnerability that will never be found in faux strength. And the gospel invites you to it under the banner that you're beloved by God, under the banner of redeemed, under the banner of forgiven, under the banner of son. Won't you take a step? Now, let me close like this. The, the whole, if you remember back to week one, we, we said that transformation occurs with deep work over time in community, and that primarily occurs when we behold the beauty of Jesus. So we turn our backs on our idols, it's called repentance, so comfort, approval, power, control. We're like, no, 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 I'm not going to try to control this. My compulsion is to control it, um, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not going to choose the comfort route. I'm not going to choose the everybody likes me route. I'm not going to, I'm going to turn and I'm going to look at the beauty of Jesus. And, and Paul in 1 Corinthians says that when we do that, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And so we said week one, gosh, that sounds like a terrible deal. One degree, but hear me now, one degree over a period of three to five years will turn you into a completely different person. One degree for two weeks, yeah, not much there. One degree for three years, five years, eight years, there's a life that's available to you in Jesus. One degree of glory to the next that takes only, I just promise you, I know you're not gonna, oh, I know you're not gonna believe me. That just takes one little simple step of obedience and surrender at a time. Not all of it at once. That's not how the Lord works. It's progressive rehumanization over time. And so let, let me just end like this. What's that 1% today? You might have a thousand things going on in your life, and I hate that for you. Question's far more simple than that. What, what's the... What's the one degree? What's the one degree today? Maybe it has to do with that 99-1 thing. Maybe you know what that one is and you're just like, heck no. No way, that would, that would be so bad. Here, look at me. I am not saying that 1% wouldn't be extremely costly. I am saying it's worth it. I am not saying that that 1% might cost you significantly. I'm saying to not deal with that 1% keeps you enslaved. And you should just want more for yourself than that. Or, or maybe, maybe 
today that 1% is, you know what, Dadgummit, I'm not going to be a spectator anymore. I'm going to head to recovery on Wednesday night. I'm going to go to group connect. I'm going to find a place to belong here and to start being formed. I'm going to take seriously that I'm a unique, uniquely gifted person, both by the Holy Spirit and my backstory, and I want to leverage that for the kingdom, and I'm going to start the journey of figuring that out. Or, or I, again, there's so much going on. I, I don't know what it is. I, here's what I want you to do. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're, we're going to wrap this thing up right now. And I want you to just, whatever the one is, whatever the 1%, whatever the one degree of glory is, I would love for you to just lay that at the feet of Jesus. I'm not trying to be weird if you're a guest with us or not a Christian or anything. This is just an opportunity for Christians to say, I'm taking this step, give me courage, Holy Spirit. So whatever that one degree is, I don't know what it is, what is it? I want you to be willing to right now just pray, Jesus, I wanna lay this at your feet. I'm saying yes to you this morning. Outside these walls, it's Father's Day, so there's probably a lunch. There's probably a lot going on this afternoon, so you'll need to, you'll need to set some intention here, some resolve. You'll need to say before the Lord, give me the strength to do this at this point. Brothers, I want to encourage you to find your group, find your king's table. I don't know who those brothers are. I just know they're in close proximity with you, and I know they, they're, they're hungry for Jesus, too. You've got to find those guys. You've got to invite them in with your own vulnerability. What does that look like? Can you imagine? Shield to shield, come what may. What couldn't you endure with gratitude surrounded by brothers in arms like that? That's what Jesus has available to you. Sisters, what does it, what does it look like to deeply belong to be fully known in our weaknesses, to let others into that you, you feel like a failure in this space or not enough in this space or don't know what to do in this space, or, but, but not to gossip or slander, but to just be known in it. Can you imagine? Fully known and fully loved. Father, you, you hear every prayer. You see every degree. Just ask Holy Spirit that you grant them courage after this. This wouldn't be a decision made on adrenaline or um, some sort of emotive kind of stirring up that they're going to forget about as they navigate our parking lot, but rather one degree today, just, just one degree, Lord, just this one little step of faith, this one little step of obedience. Would you bless it? And bless it sooner than we think we'll see it. <laughs> uh, give my brothers, give my brothers a table. Just hurt for him. Just what a crummy time to be a man. Strengthen them. Strengthen their hearts. Give them a vision of the kind of man they can be. For my sisters, bless them. Captivate them with your beauty and grace. In all things, help us. If you don't, we are easily going to wreck this all. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.